Um, so Sasha has given me the delightful job of introducing our last speaker of the evening, uh, Matthew Sturgis. Uh, now Matthew is a freelance writer and critic whose repertoire ranges from pieces of art criticism for Harper's and Queen to football reports for The Independent on Sunday. But perhaps he's probably best known for his books about the rich culture world of the fantasy era. He received great acclaim for Passionate Attitudes, which was a study of the English decadence of the 1890s, and for his biographies of the, of the artists Walter Sippet and Aubrey Beardsley, <laughs> the latter of which I'm sure will inform the reading he's about to give today. He also has a new biography coming out about Oscar Wilde, 30 years since Elman, uh, which will be published this October, so watch this space. So Masks and Phases was first performed at the Victoria and Albert Museum for a conference for the, uh, that accompanied the museum's 1998 Beardsley exhibition. It was then later published by the Rivendell Press, and as I'm sure the eighth-seats and bibliophiles among us will be keen to note, was hand-printed and bound by the Trigara Press on titan paper limited to only 100 copies. And so before we get too excited and rush out to find a copy, I wish to introduce Matthew Sturgis in his reading of Masks and Phases, with Andrew Martin reading the part of Vivian. Gracious me, Cyril, what are you doing? Lounging about at this time of the afternoon? You look preposterous. Please, Vivian. Don't be so loud. Can't you see I'm exhausted? I can see that you're wearing your dressing gown. Well, that should tell you something. The dressing gown is an outward symbol of my inner exhaustion. I have had a very tiring morning. But what on earth have you been doing? I have been looking at pictures. In the morning? Well, exactly. That was the problem. Pictures in the afternoon one can manage. One has the whole morning to fortify oneself. But art before lunch. When one's nerves are still jangling with breakfast tea, it's, it's really more than the soul can bear. Cyril, what are you talking about? Where were you looking at pictures? Has there been an exhibition opening? Oh, Vivian, all these questions. You sound like a newspaper journalist. I am a newspaper journalist. <laughs> I know, I know, but there's no need to drag your professional persona into your private life. It's a beastly habit, and one that I regret to say is becoming more and more prevalent. Well, then you must explain yourself better. Where were you this morning? I was here, at home, on my sofa. So where were the pictures? Oh, they were here too. I had them brought in. Sounds a very cumbersome business. How like you, Vivian, to be both practical and wrong. <laughs> it is a vulgar, occidental notion that great art is always made on the grand scale. The pictures I was admiring came in a highly portable form. They were in a book. What book? The yellow book. What? That ghastly mustard plaster. I will ignore that comment. It sounds like something out of Punch or the fortnightly review. Besides, I have no idea what a mustard plaster is. But you don't mean to say that you read the yellow book? Of course I don't read the yellow book. Only schoolgirls and office clerks and literary critics read it. <laughs> I look at the pictures. They are quite wonderful. The new number came out this morning. I sent Matthews out to get it at once. What an absurd thing to do. Well, there's no need to be wise after the event, although that is, I know, the only sort of wisdom ever aspired to by your profession. Of course, I now realise it was rash of me. In future, I shall wait till the afternoon before looking at it. And so, which pictures exactly were you looking at? Oh, 
What a delightfully absurd question. Why, at the Beardsleys, of course. The Aubrey Beardsleys? You journalists are so prosaic. Yes, yes, the Aubrey Beardsleys. He is really the only thing in the publication. Really? You think so? You sound surprised. But perhaps that isn't surprising. As a nation, we certainly don't value our artists, particularly if they are any good. And you call Beardsley good? He is the best. Nobody else draws like him. Really? I thought that nowadays everybody else draws like him. <laughs> they try, perhaps, but it can't be done. He is unique, a genius. Oh, I see. You do? Well, no, not really. I can't understand it. When he first appeared, I thought he might amount to something. Those illustrations he did for Dent's Mort Darthur were really rather good. Very Bernard Jonesy and all that. They had a pleasing, oldie-worldy flavour about them. But now that he seems to have abandoned pre-Raphaelitism and gone all modern, I've rather given up on him. Oh, Vivian, the, uh, there is really no need to parade your philistinism quite so shamelessly. But perhaps you are trying to shock me. If so, it is perfectly heartless of you, considering my condition. Nobody's trying to shock you. I see. But that's all I do see. It is quite ridiculous of you to call Beardsley a pre-Raphaelite. Just because he drew some Arthurian knights with retrousse noses, there is no reason to suppose that he wished to claim a place at Burne Jones's round table. The similarity, like so much in else in Beardsley's art, is an illusion. Beardsley's knights are thoroughly modern. Anyone but an art critic can see that. Beardsley's art is always thoroughly modern. It is always thoroughly unpleasant, if that is what you mean. That is not what I mean at all. But those Salome pictures he did were unpleasant. And his yellow book ones are worse. There's a leering heart on every other page. You seem very well informed on the subject. Oh, well, I, I was sent a copy of the first number to review. Really? I must have missed your article. Uh, what did you write? I didn't write anything. I thought it safest not to. But I've always kept the volume by me. I use it as an emetic. It is most effective. Uh, how like a Philistine to insist on finding a use for art. I thought that by making it useful I might make it less ugly. You consider the yellow book ugly? Well, Beardsley's cover certainly was, and the title page was worse. I can't pretend I got much further. Beardsley, it is true, is not afraid to depict ugliness, but he makes it beautiful. What an extraordinary claim. There is nothing extraordinary about it. Great art always achieves the ideal of beauty. That is why it is great art. But how can there be anything beautiful in the sight of an elderly whore sitting at a cafe table? There is nothing beautiful about the old tart herself. Uh, if we saw her at Jimmy's or at the Café Royal, I dare say she would quite put us off our oysters. But Beardsley's drawing of her is another matter altogether. How do you mean? When looking at a drawing, it is important to look at the drawing. It may sound like a truism, but it is certainly one that needs constant restating. You must concentrate on the surface of the page, the balance of the composition, the startling arrangement of the black, the gracious of, uh, graciousness of the flowing line. In Beardsley's work, all that is quite exquisite. In art, as in life, you should always judge by appearances. But surely art should do more than just offering us a beautiful surface. I don't see why. It should carry some moral message, some high ideal. 
some great thought. I don't know how you have managed to preserve such outmoded medieval notions in the midst of our industrial age. It is most impressive, uh, though completely misguided. I thought art was supposed to make us better than we are. Isn't that the point of it? I'm sure Ruskin said something of the sort. It's quite possible. Ruskin has said so much. Indeed, it's very difficult to remember to forget all of what Ruskin has said. <laughs> Nevertheless, if art does make us better, it is an accident. An accident? An accident of its beauty. How do you mean? Beauty gives us pleasure, pleasure makes us happy, and happiness makes us good. Are you sure that's true? Well, it's memorable, which in all moral questions <laughs> is the really important thing. Seems a thoroughly dangerous notion to me. And quite unsound. I don't see how you can call it unsound. <laughs> you admit that Beardsley's drawing is beautiful. I admit nothing of the sort. Um, but his penmanship is exquisite. You'll go that far? His line may be graceful. I'm prepared to admit that. Everyone knows that Beardsley's line is graceful. Or at least everyone says that it is, which is pretty much the same thing. But surely that is only half the equation. I don't see how you could make such a firm distinction between the quality of the drawing and the unsavoury nature of the subject matter. Subject matter? Subject matter? When will you realise that the subject doesn't matter? <laughs> How can you say such a thing? Uh, very easily, Vivian. The truth, contrary to popular prejudice, is not difficult to enunciate. Well, it is certainly difficult to understand. I suppose... You would like Beardsley to draw flowers or milkmaids or pictures of small boys blowing soap bubbles. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I should think so. Those sorts of things would give what you call his graceful line a chance to define beautiful, uplifting, morally worthwhile things. And I'm sure the result would be most attractive. Oh, dear Vivian, what a fool you are. A fool? Yes. The fact is, Beardsley does draw flowers and milkmaids. He draws children and puppy dogs. He has even attempted biblical illustration. But the pictures cause quite as much offence as his drawings of whores and loungers. Where would I have seen such pictures? The unseen never do see them, even when they look. <laughs> but I don't understand. <clears throat> the sense of wickedness that you detect in Beardsley's art isn't the result of his subject matter. It's the result of his vision. Beardsley can see the corruption in a flower or a milkmaid as plainly as he can see it in a heart, and he can make his line distinct with that knowledge. That is the mark of his genius and his originality. If you gave him a daisy to draw, he would show you a fleur de mal. Mm, but isn't that a very unhealthy way to look at the world? It's a very brave way. Well, why is it brave? Because it is true. Corruption is all around us, but it is usually ignored, denied, covered up. Beardsley won't let us ignore it. Oh, I see. He holds up a mirror to the age. So, so he's a sort of modern Hogarth, do you mean? Satirising the foibles of our time? A fan de siècle juvenile? Well, I suppose that does make... A difference. A great difference. I do think that he could make his position rather clearer. It's not easy to discern in the pictures. 
Perhaps if he'd given that drawing of the lonely harlot sitting at her cafe table some appropriate title, such as Fall, Fall, The Fatal Glass of Vermouth. The impact would have been more telling, and I'm sure he would enjoy a far greater success. He might, in time, be elected to the Academy. Uh, Vivian, you have managed to miss the point again. Uh, you have a positive genius for obtuseness. Beardsley never satirises the foibles of the age. What does he do then? He merely reveals them. But surely he disapproves of the vices that he depicts. The only vice of which he disapproves is our hypocrisy in denying all the other vices. Although I am not in favour of affixing labels to art as though it were so much marmalade, I suppose that it can be said of Beardsley that he is not so much a satirist as a realist. A realist? But his pictures don't seem very real. What can you mean? Well, the people in them. They're so bizarre, so grotesque, so artificial. People don't look like that. Well, perhaps they didn't before Beardsley drew them, but uh, now it is a very different matter. He has captured the spirit of the times and set it down in black and white. People nowadays are underneath everything, grotesque and artificial. Perhaps a few of them are even bizarre. Uh, we had all been too busy to notice it, but Beardsley saw it, and he has had the courage to draw it. And nature has not been slow to pay her compliment to his art. And what compliment is that? The compliment of imitation. It's not a very imaginative compliment, but then no one has ever accused nature of being imaginative. During the last 12 months, more and more people have been looking more and more like Beardsley drawings. <laughs> you really think so? The point is indisputable. It is a well-known fact that Lady Mount Stewart grew almost eight inches in the week that Salome was published. And the appearance of the Yellow Book has had an extraordinary effect on the complexions of all serious-minded people. Half of London now looks quite jaundiced. <laughs> the only sadness is that his illustrations for Lucian have not been more widely published. They might have made people interested. You are being ridiculous. I am not. It is an artistic commonplace that the world is defined for us by our artists. They teach us to see what is before our, our, our eyes. No one had noticed London fog before Whistler flung it in the public's face. Sunsets were invented by Turner and redheads were invented by Rossetti, or at least reinvented. Titian had, always, uh, had already gone some way to establishing their existence. Beardsley has invented the modern woman. And the promenade of the empire is now absolutely thronging with Beardsleys. He defined a type a type that had been there before us all along, but a type which we had never recognised till he revealed it. Well, she seems a remarkably ugly type. I do wish you would get this notion of ugliness out of your head. To suppose that there is only one time of type of feminine beauty is a very provincial notion. For many people, the Beardsley woman represents an ideal of loveliness. What? With those lips? Yes, with those lips. Those eyes, those shoulders, that waist. The Beardsley waist is an anatomical impossibility. Oh, try not to be so literal, Vivian. The waist is not supposed to be anatomically possible. That is why all imaginative people find it so attractive. Beardsley is an artist. If you want a scientifically accurate representation of a woman, you can get a, a photograph. It will tell you everything you want to know about the correct size of a woman's waist, and absolutely nothing about everything else. It seems to me that Beardsley's drawings tell one very little about women, and a great deal about Aubrey Beardsley. Huh? 
That is certainly an interesting line of approach. And what have you learned about Beardsley by looking at his drawings? Only that he must be a thoroughly unprepossessing character. I'm disappointed that you should uh, consider someone with a passion for truth and a genius for drawing an unprepossessing character, but then we live in an unheroic age. The finer virtues are apt not to be appreciated. I can't think that Beardsley has any virtues at all. I'm sure he didn't come by his vision of wickedness, as you call it, without some serious first-hand research. And it certainly seems to have taken its toll. He looks a thoroughly suspect and unhealthy figure. I see. So you've already abandoned your analysis of Beardsley's drawings and launched into a direct personal attack. Well, if anyone looks like a Beardsley drawing, it is Beardsley himself. You have met him? No. But I see him sometimes. At the opera. He's hard to miss. Well, that is only because he doesn't have a private income. Speaking riddles, Cyril. I thought I was being perfectly clear. <laughs> Beardsley needs to earn his living. He understands that amongst people more interested in personalities than in art, it is easier and far more useful to advertise himself rather than his work. Why should he want to advertise himself? Well, almost no one looks at art, but everyone will look at an artist if he is only striking enough. We, as has been remarked, live in an age of advertisement. Beardsley, very sensibly, plays the part of his own sandwich board man, except he doesn't even require a sandwich board. He is his own advertisement. Elongated, unhealthy, and monochromatic, he is the perfect introduction to his art, and people are delighted to make the acquaintance so easy. But why does he have to say such outrageous things? You know, all that nonsense he's forever spouting in the papers. I'm sure it isn't nonsense. Yes, it is. He claims that he can only work by candlelight, and that on summer mornings he draws his curtains against the sun and sits working in the gloom. If that isn't nonsense, I don't know what it is. It seems perfect sense to me. He is speaking metaphorically, asserting the claims of art and the artificial over, over the tyranny of nature and the natural. Couldn't you have made the point without being metaphorical? I hate metaphors. <laughs> but you remember them. Beardsley wishes to engage the public's attention, and he has clearly succeeded. You've gone quite pink with irritation. Uh, besides, people like being irritated a little every now and then. It makes them feel in touch with the vital currents of modern culture. The vital currents of modern culture. That sounds rather electrical. We <laughs> are, if not modern culture, is like electricity. Why? Oh, because it has the power to shock. No, because it has the power to illuminate. Well, I think Beardsley's light will be very brief. Hmm. He is merely a figure of fashion, and fashions pass. This Beardsley boom will soon be over, and when it passes, he and his art will be thoroughly forgotten. <laughs> you are mistaken. Beardsley is not fashionable, he is modern. There is a great difference. His art is a true expression of our times. The times, it is true, will change, are perhaps changing already, but truth does not alter, and the truth of Beardsley's expression will endure. You seem very sure of the point. I would bet you a guinea that in 120 years' time, Beardsley is the only artist of our little fin de siècle, still looked at, admired, and puzzled over, but... But what? But I never make bets. 
that, my dear Cyril, is the only sensible thing you have said all afternoon. Oh dear. If you are going to accuse me of talking sense, I shall have to shut up altogether. Perhaps then we might smoke a cigarette in silence. These things must be contagious, for that is certainly the first bit of sense that you have uttered. 